time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. It all started 11 years ago. Um, this month, actually, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes a month after my sixth birthday. Um, for the first two years, my mom continually, like, I would go home and she would have the entire family like circle around me and pray over me and she would continually pray for healing and um, to be completely honest I never knew what she was talking about I was always confused on that topic of healing and was confused that she had such faith in it but I had no idea what was going on so um, I always hated that time of like sitting there for sometimes 15 minutes other times like hours on end and when I was eight or nine, I turned from like being confused on what had happened to me to hatred for God for giving me diabetes. And from that point, I became, um, I stepped out of where I should have been. I claimed to be Christian, but never truly was. And I continually blamed God. I remember clearly being like alone several times, screaming at God, why did you do this to me? And in desperation, 2013, I want to say, um, the wall of God did this to me broke down, and I found the truth that it was not God. Um, I volunteered that year, and it was like I was sitting there watching the worship one night, and it just like hit me full on that it's not God, that God's been sitting there walking with me, hoping that I'd turn with him and walk with him in this. Um, the next desperation conference... I decided that I was going to live for God, even with or without diabetes, I was going to live for God and started to love God for who he is. And then at Quorum Deo, um, a close friend of mine spoke a prophetic word over me that I was going to be healed to diabetes. And from that point, I was like excited and nervous and I was still living like a fair weather Christianity life of never truly accepting God in my life, but always saying I had. At the beginning of this year, uh, January 31st, my older brother's best friend and my best friend's older brother committed suicide. And from the, at that point, that was like shake, that was the shaking of my faith to who am I actually in God? And at near the end of February, in the last week of February, I had been struggling severely with suicidal thoughts, with reasons of why am I here kind of thing. And finally, uh, one night I went to my mom and I was like, I'm done with this completely. I'm just tired of fighting this. I'm tired of living this. Um, God said I can be free, so how am I not free? So I went to my mom and I told her, I just leveled with her. And she just broke down right there because she had seen this pain that it caused when my, when my close friend died. And she had seen the family, like how much that family just fallen apart. And she knew that she loved me and my entire family loved me, but I wasn't seeing that. So... She, we started talking and I told her that I want to be baptized for me this time that the last time I was baptized it was for her for her pleasure for to make her happy it was never for me and then she asked me if I'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit and so I answered I was like no I haven't I have not I mean if I have it was again for you not for me so that night she baptized me in the Holy Spirit and like right then 
walls just began to crumble like every time I so I jumped into my Bible that night I stayed up all night just pouring into God's word reading into God and finding out who God is in me and then um, my a really close friend of mine um, invited me to a Bible study of his and his roommate so I, I was it was um, Sunday March 1st is when the Bible study was going on and so I was like I, I have nothing to do so I'm like I'll go sure why not and there was just me and these two other guys and they were talking they were in, investing into me and at first I was confused because very few, few people have done that for me so I started like opening myself up to them talking to them and then one other guy showed up so there's only four people there in total and then um the leader of the guy, the leader of the group, called his name is Cliff. He jumped in with Second Peter, verse two. Um, God has prepared everything ahead of time for us, and he jumped from there just all throughout the Bible about healing, and the entire talk was on healing. And I remember sitting there on his on his futon, just sitting there at first, laid back, chilling, and then like at the end of the night, like sitting on the edge of the seat, like, how do I get this? And so then at the end, he started he started talking to me about. Um, prayer like do I do I need prayer for anything and so I started laughing and I told him that I was coming up on 11 years of having diabetes and so he started praying for me and I remember I had my hands on my elbows my hand on my knees and just sitting there praying to God and every wall I'd ever built up just crumbled right there I was beginning to shake and tremble just uncontrollably trembling and then like a couple minutes into it something just happened and it was no one was there anymore. It was just me and God. And I was right there, healed of diabetes. I had diabetes for almost 11 years and it's completely healed on March 1st. So I was like, I walked out of that house so happy, so complete. And now it's like, I can't find enough of God. I'm pouring into God, I'm jumping into God. I'll talk to my friends, I'll talk to my friends about all the time about God, like who God is in me to the point where I've lost many friends because of that. And it's like, the more I'm, I'm diving into people who will lift me up, um, it's costing so much of like my old relationships, my old friends, my old like family, I guess you say. And it is so worth it for God, for everything that I'm learning in God and everything that I'm doing with God. Hey, that's so... Guys, that is so awesome. These stories are here tonight to let this know, hey, you are not alone no matter what you're facing. This could be your story, a story of redemption. And so without further ado, I want to call up tonight the first person I'm going to interview, interview live and just kind of there as they're walking around. You guys are so amazing. I want to call up uh, Miss Deborah Foster up here. Y'all give her a hand. Give her a hand as she comes. All right, Deborah, I know your name. Just tell everybody your first and last name. Is that Hello? microphone on for you? Hello? Yes, Can, it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> there you go. Tell me your first and last name. Um, I'm Deborah Foster. All right, y'all give it up for Deborah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Deborah, I want to, obviously, I've heard your story a couple times. We've walked through. I want you to just kind of 
to kind of share tonight just a little bit about your background, the family that you were raised in, parents, home life, that kind of thing. And then just talk a little bit about kind of your junior high years of kind of where things kind of started going south for you a little bit. All right. Okay. Well, um, oh, this is so weird. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, I was raised in a Christian home. I have amazing parents. I was raised with amazing parents. Um, and, you know, we went to church. They were, they're very strong Christians. Um, but I, I, my first four years of school, like kindergarten through third grade, um, I was kind of that nerd who always wanted to answer the questions. And um, the term half-breed was actually brought up. And being a know-it-all, I was like, oh, I have a mom who is Mexican and a dad who is white. And that actually turned into some ridicule about that. But honestly, I kind of thought, you know, like, I mean, in Kidland, I was kind of like, this is how it is. You know, life is good. I, you know, I, and I thought it was pretty good. And then I went to another school, and it wasn't to that extent, but I still, I had some friends, but they weren't, they, I wasn't always super close, and I could feel that. Um, but I just thought that was just how friendship was, and um, I, was, I was the outsider of all my friend groups, kind of. And so then in, like, sixth and seventh grade, they were talking about bullying, and that's when I realized, oh, my gosh, this actually happened to me. This, uh, this is real. And those thoughts kind of hit me, and it, and it was one of the things, as well as just turning into a young woman and feeling those insecurities, it started this big, big, deep pit of insecurity. Yeah, and, and so I remember you saying, even once the bullying started, that's where this big this big kind of lie. I think every single one of us somewhere along the journey, if we're honest, there's at least one lie that we have chosen to believe about ourselves, about other people, about God. And so I'm going to ask you, what was, what was the lie or what were a couple lies that you started actually believing during that season that led to insecurity and then talk about what the insecurity led to? Well, I, it, it, I've heard it so many times in different stories um, now, but looking back, I sincerely, truly thought that I was a mistake of God. That somehow wow. everybody he had made perfect, and even though they kind of messed up, he still loved them, but he didn't love me. And I was his mistake. And I, looked at, I couldn't even look in the mirror like for a full minute sometimes because... It, I just, I didn't like the way I looked. I didn't like my hair, even though it was from my beautiful mom. I, I didn't, I just didn't like the way I looked at all. And I, be, I believe the lie that that was who I was, that it, that it wasn't okay to look the way I did, that I do. Yeah, um, yeah. And I remember you saying, I actually believe too that God can work in everybody else's lives, but he can't work in mine. Yeah. And I thought that was so interesting because I, I think, again, if we're just being honest about where we are, probably so many in the room have actually either felt that or believed that in a moment or over a season. And so I want you to take us to now where things kind of started to change. I want you to mention your experience, talk about it, Desperation Conference and all of that. Okay. Well, um, I'd actually, because of this insecurity, I began to cut... And I was deep into depression. I was having suicidal thoughts. I was, I would go into my room and I would put my hand against my throat and I would, I'd get the cords of my lamp and I would hold them against my chest. And there was this one night where I even went into my parents' bedroom and I grabbed my dad's Glock. It wasn't even loaded, but I, I held it to my head just to kind of, I, I felt this kind of assurance, but I also, 
every time I felt something in my heart that it was like a whisper, like, like, like somebody, like somebody did love me. And I always blew it away. I was like, nobody, nobody loves me. I don't feel this love. I don't see this love. I see it in people's stories, but it's not in my life. And so, um, I was just, I was ready. I wasn't, I didn't want to be a part of my family even even more. I pulled away from them. I was cutting a lot. Um, I withheld from a lot of my friends the truth. I was starving myself. I was saying, oh, I don't feel good. You know, I'm don't, I'm, I'm sick. I already ate. And, um, it was just, it was just a big, big mask. And so I just, I was really alone and pretty much ready to die, honestly. And so, then um, I went to desperation after my seventh grade year, um, and I actually didn't even want to go. My sister, she, um, she, was, she was begging me to go. My mom, I even hid my wristband from my mom thinking that she wouldn't let me go. But, you know, she just bought a new one, so that didn't happen. Um, but uh, I, I ended up going. I didn't want to go, and the first night was okay. I was like, this is long. The sessions are like an hour. And then the, the next night... Um, or the next day, there was this Carrie Job song, and I remember, you know, I, I I felt something that I, you know, I felt times before, but like like you know, since then, but at that moment, it was the first time I felt it, and I still cannot find words to describe it. It, it it's it's so amazing, and I just found myself on the floor of desperation, on in that room, just bawling on my knees and and listening to the song and and I barely knew it but I was just like crying out and I went home that night and I laid in bed and usually I couldn't really sleep so I just stared at my ceiling and I looked up and I was like I I I know you're out there and I don't know what's going on but I I feel this and I and I know you love me and I'm sorry and and it was just I, I remember just as I'm saying these really just kind of really broken words. I just felt this this feeling. It was it was like it was like a hug, but it was so much better. It was is is amazing. I still cannot I find words to describe it. I love that description, and I love what you said too. Even in the midst of because you described even like suicide attempts and trying to choke yourself and all of those things, and hearing that voice that just said. Somebody loves you. And I, and I remember you just sharing that. Like it felt like a hug, but it was something better. That is amazing the way that God will come to us right in the middle of doing crazy things because that's how, how for you he actually is. Yeah. Um, I was at that desperation conference and it was Pastor Elijah Waters who had given an altar call. That was, I believe, in 2012. And he had given an altar call. And I remember so many students responded. Maybe some of you were there too. And I mean, hundreds of students literally came on the stage because he just felt like the Lord was calling people saying, hey, if you're struggling with suicide and and freedom, I want you to talk now, just kind of finally wrapping this up, where you are kind of now and the power, because I I know you brought your Bible up here too, of of what you've been doing to kind of stay free. Because I know you said last summer is whenever you really overcame the insecurities. What have you done to continue walking in that freedom? Um, well, I actually found myself wanting to read my Bible because growing up, you know, I have a really strong Christian family and we always had devotions and, you know, my dad is a teacher, so it was really great, um, to be led by that, but still, um, it just, you know, I never really wanted to, it's kind of like something, okay, I'm I'm a Christian, so I have to read the Bible, but I found myself at a place where I realized that the Bible is an anchor through the storms of life and that, it's not oh, just say that again. That is so good. <laughs> the Bible is is our anchor through the storms of life. Amen. Amen. 
That'll preach. That'll preach. And so what, what kind of, is there maybe a verse or so that you found that is really kind of define you? Are you allowing to define you in this particular season of your life? I have two, um, two major ones. One of them is actually one that was on a little plaque and it's really, it's really well known, but cause I was going through and I, when I started telling my parents about stuff or when I kind of opened my heart up to them, my dad, he pulled up to me and, um, it's Philippians four thirteen. Um, and it says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And he made me say it over and over again. And I, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to do it just so I can get over it. And then when I started reading my Bible again for real this time, I looked back and I realized how, how beautiful that one sentence is about just, just who gives me strength because I was so broken. And there were so many times where I kept on falling back into cutting and back into insecurity and, and having those thoughts of, of I'm not beautiful enough or I'm not good enough. But, but here it's like he, I, I, I realized there's a promise that he gives us strength and that he's never going to falter in giving us strength. And that's just, I, I mean, ever since then, I've just loved it. Um, and another one is like my, some of my favorite chapter. Um, it's in, it's Romans... Uh, oops. Oh. It's Romans um, 8, uh, 37. And before them, it's talk, talking about how... Um, oh, wait, no. Yeah, <laughs> 37, it says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And it goes on to mention how, how many things do not keep us from God. How, how many things like angels or demons or height or depth. And even though angels are beautiful and, and being, being in, in these glorious spots are, are beautiful. God is bigger and through him we are more than conquerors. And just that, that word that we aren't just conquerors. We are more than conquerors. And that's because, you know, because, because of God's strength. And so, and, and the strength he gives us and his love and his grace and, and just how he empowers us in ways that we could never even imagine how he's empowered me through all of this and taken me so far. Absolutely. Hey, Deborah, thank you so much for sharing your story. <laughs> Give it up for Deborah tonight, you guys. How do I turn it off? Take a look at this next story we have for you all. I went to Catholic school from the grades one through five, and during those years, I moved from New Mexico to Colorado. So I went from knowing some people to knowing no people. And in about second grade, um, my mom had to go, uh, it's called TDY, it's like temporary deployment something, I don't know, it's military speak. And so uh, we went to New Jersey for that, which is where my mom's side of the family is living. And um, I was maybe about six, and while my mom was gone and my grandparents were at work, I was left home alone with my uncle, and I got sexually abused for six years. Um, My mom didn't find out until my eighth grade year. So until my eighth grade year, I stopped believing in God. And, uh, you know, I still went to Catholic school up until fifth grade. I uh, prayed, and I prayed that it would that it would end and it didn't for a while and I moved back and I started going to public school and when I went to public school I started getting bullied and so uh, I wasn't really used to getting bullied and I started cutting because I didn't really know what I was supposed to do. I 
telling people didn't really work. Nobody ever took care of it. Um, so I cut up until my freshman year of high school. And my freshman year of high school, I also transferred to a different school. And um, so everything was pretty good there. It seemed like things were good up until New Year's Eve, uh, which was like 2012, I think is when it was going on. And I, uh, I tried to kill myself. Um, uh, someone who I thought was my friend just told me that I really wasn't worth having around and that I should jump in front of traffic and that no one would ever, you know, care about me. So, uh, yeah. And at like two in the morning, the cops were at my door because the same person who told me to kill myself also called the cops. And so I went to um, Cedar Springs, which is a um, mental hospital and our behavioral health hospital. And I was there for a week. Um, I got back to school in time to finish finals. And then I went back into a different hospital a week later. Um, and that was called uh, Highlands Ranch. So I went from Highlands back out into school, you know. Um, I got a little bit of stability. I got stability for maybe a couple months um, until the bullying started again. And I didn't know how to cope, so I also found my way into using sex as a coping mechanism. Um, and that made things worse as well. I kind of lost myself for a long time. I went back into the hospital two more times um, before my freshman year had ended. Um, I had people following me to my house, you know, just people didn't like me. This one girl just did not want me around. So uh, I got pulled out of school early and I practically flunked my freshman year of high school. Went to a different school my sophomore year. Um, and things were going pretty good up until, you know, February is when I lost a really good friend of mine and my grandpa died as well. So. I didn't know how to cope either, and I started using sex as a coping mechanism again. Um, I, I was also self-medicating. I was smoking weed um, and, you know, hanging out with the wrong crowd. And um, I didn't care really about myself or anyone around me. So... Uh, I kind of just, you know, whatever opportunity I had to get anything, I did. And uh, that's how I wound up pregnant with Cass. <laughs> that was a life changer, really. I got pregnant March of last year, and I found out I was, and I was failing all of my classes my sophomore year of high school. And it was three months until the school year ended, so I pulled myself up, got myself together, and I uh, got out of, I stopped smoking weed, um, I stopped using sex as a coping mechanism, I pulled my grades up really quickly, um, I got accepted into, you know, the cosmetology program, um, and I started coming to DSM, and I only came to DSM for like a week, 
in like June until I had like a really bad anxiety attack because I just felt out of place for a bit. So I didn't come back until uh, I think actually the first night that I came back was the cadre night and um, I met some really cool people. I met Haley. She's cool. Um, uh, Lorenzo, who moved, and uh, Jacek, who's also really cool. And I was really nervous to be telling everybody about my son because, like, people that found out that I was pregnant, that I went to, like, Catholic school with, you know, even if I wasn't friends with them, they kind of, like, disowned me. Um, don't know how you can disown someone when you don't really know them, but... And then, um, so since January, I've been coming and I'm still on that little, you know, journey to still find God. I mean, I found him, but I'm not like super tight with him, but I know he's there. Uh, I definitely know he's there after everything. I just, I love so much uh, Alyssa's story. You know, a lot of times in church, we just kind of look for cookie cutter lives or try to give cookie cutter answers. Uh, We don't do that. I don't do that very well. We don't do that very well here at DSM because you're real people with real lives, real stories. Your story may not be exactly what has been portrayed or reflected tonight exactly. But what I love about Alyssa's story is that she is on a journey and you know what, instead of faking and acting like everything's okay, see, she's in a better place to be honest than many of us are week to week in this room because she knows where she is and she knows that, Hey, I am on this journey. I'm not there with God yet, but I'm open. And, and you know what? People were nice enough to me here at DSM. I can feel the presence of God and I'm still figuring things out. And no matter where you are in your story, in your journey, I want to just remind you, you're welcome here in the midst of figuring things out. You don't get good to get God. You get God and then you get his goodness in your life. Amen. And so we love you so much, Alyssa. Thank you for sharing your story as well. It's amazing. Amazing. And so next, I'm going to call up Mr. Brady Flynn. And come on up here. Give him a hand as he comes. Brady F, tell, uh, just tell everybody who you are, tell them what school you go to, and how excited you are about graduating in weeks and weeks and weeks. Hi, I'm Brady Flynn. I'm a senior at Pine Creek High School, Woo! with about five weeks left. <laughs> Very good. You're going to finish strong. All right, Brady. So let's jump right in. I want you to, I want you to tell us and different people we all heard. How many of you remember his amazing message that he preached to us for DSM by DSM? 
So powerful. Um, and so I want to hear just a different side, you know, Brady, a little bit about your background. And, and obviously the story we're going to hear tonight is a little bit different even from the previous one. But this is so cool because the story of answered prayer. And so tell us a little bit about your background and then how you kind of started coming to DSM. Yeah, so my background is from a non-Christian family who was very choose-what-you-want kind of a lifestyle um, all as I grew up, which kind of just led to me not choosing anything at all. Um, I love my family. They love me, um, but not raised in a Christian household by any means. So then life was life um, up to my freshman year. Um, my awesome friend Courtney Matson, neighbor since ever, invited me to DSM um, on a Wednesday night, and I came. And I, it broke so many stereotypes that I had of what church was, and no lies. I was like, wow, they do karaoke. I was like, this is cool. Everything about it was awesome, and I was just intrigued. Um, so I started coming to DSM. Two weeks later, got myself up to Cormdeo because I just love the mountains. So I was like, hey, mom, I'm just going to the mountains. Um, not knowing myself even what I was getting into, but I'm and just tell them so what, thankful. those of you, how many of you don't know what Cormdeo is? Just raise your hand. You do know what Cormdeo is. So some do not. Just tell them that's our fall retreat that we do every fall. It is amazing. We're going to be going back this fall in September. You don't want to miss Cormdeo. Frontier Ranch is going down. So you went to Cormdeo. You told your parents, I'm just going to a retreat in the mountains. Yeah, because it's like yep. I'm going to the mountains for a retreat. And they said, great. Yeah, they were totally Perfect. fine with it. So good. And so then, obviously, you got saved, started following the Lord. And then tell me about some of the dynamics of just going to. You were obviously the only person in your home who was actively following Jesus, going to church. What was that like? Yeah, so it wasn't easy by any means. And I'm real with myself about it. But it would just be week after week of coming to DSM and DSM became my family. Um, yeah. and I just invested everything I had. I, as many leadership groups, as many prayer meetings, I did just, this place meant so much to me because it was where I had my spiritual brothers and sisters, my spiritual fathers, things that really mattered. And then I would find myself on Sunday mornings by myself for years, week after week, just going into God's presence because it, it's, 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 it's a big deal, yeah. but that still wasn't easy seeing everyone with what seemed like their perfect families. And then there was just me by myself. Um, I'm not going to lie. It wasn't perfect, but it was worth it. Yeah. And that's a big deal, Brady, because I think, and even for our, those of you, what would you say to, to those kind of like new life families who, because I think so many times it's easy to take it for granted, like having your mom and dad, siblings, whatever, just knowledgeable about the things of God and going to church. What would you say to them who maybe don't really appreciate what they have in having an entire family who's going to church and serving the Lord as just growing up not having that for the majority of your life? Yeah, so it's something not to take advantage of. Um, it's something to be more than thankful for that you can have true conversations that you can talk about what happened on at DSM, that you can yeah. dive into the word of God, that you can just worship next to your family is just such a, it's a beautiful picture that isn't 
real for everyone. So it's something to be yeah. honored. It's something to hold near to your heart. Yeah, that's so amazing. And I love the fact that even though you came a- alone, that you still came because that's how hungry you were. And I love what you said too. DSM kind of just became my family. And that is, that's the epicenter. That's the, that's the goal. That's the heart. That's the mind. That's the vision. That's why we do everything that we do that no matter what your family looks like at home, or if it's non-existent, you can come here and find people who actually authentically love you. Amen. Amen. And so tell me about, because things kind of started to change. You started praying for your family. Tell us what happened. Yeah. So, um, from like right after I gave my life to the Lord, I was like, well, Jesus, you're a big deal, worthy of it all. So it's not just me. Like, I know you're worthy of the worship of my, my mom and my dad and my brothers. So I knew that, um, but that wasn't the reality. So I just started praying and it, there were weak prayers. There were strong prayers. Um, but it just became a daily part of my life of just lifting my family up to the Lord. Um, and just truly believing God to do his work in my family. Yeah. And so during that time, it, it was hard. I know it was a period of a couple of years where you're coming by yourself. What began to happen? What did you see? What did you see change there? Yeah. So my dad started coming, um, not with the best intentions, not to just like seek the Lord, but he was coming to like, see what I was a part of, um, to make sure like, I'm not in this like crazy weird crowd of people. Um, but just to check up on me. So he would, he started coming, uh, week after week to me with me to big church. Um, well, it's big church and, uh, which was, it was great. It was kind of weird. Like I, held back a bit, but it was good that he was there. Yeah. And so then your dad started coming. And by the way, how, tell them how many years it had been since your dad had darkened the door of a church entrance. Yeah. So he was Catholic when, since he was born till he was 18. Then he was like deuces. So then he did his own thing all the way. And now he's 50. So it was a like a year ago. So yeah, 30, over, is that 30 30 year, 30 over 30 years, 30 years. And so it's a miracle to me that the Lord, even though you didn't have the perfect, see, this is what's so cool because the Lord doesn't consult your past in order to determine and speak into your future. And he doesn't, con- and he doesn't consult. Yeah, that's good. Clap yeah. Come on, you're going to clap. <laughs> All right. And so, so what happens is, so he doesn't, ha- he doesn't consult your, your, the, the spiritual happenings of your biological mom, dad, brother, sibling, because he's after you personally. I love that so much. So yeah, yeah. then your dad starts coming. He starts, I mean, he's faithfully coming. I mean, <laughs> it's so powerful. Just, I was talking to Brady even for Easter and, and not just Easter because it's Easter. Everybody comes on Easter, but normal Sundays where I see Brady and his dad coming around for communion. I'm just like, my God, I remember the conversations before this, like, is God even here? Like I am authentically praying. When am I going to see something? Um, Uh, And so tell us one last thing, the mind games that you kind of went through in that period, because I think there's many of us who are praying and believing for different things. What were some of the mind games of the enemy, you know, during that season when your dad initially started coming or just before? Yeah. Kind of close us out. So some of the things were within my prayers, um, and you kind of just touched on this was like, are these even being heard? Like, 
I'm, this is so intentional. Like, I'm not just doing this um, to do it. Like, I really care, but I wanted to see things, and I just wasn't seeing things. So then the lie there is like, is anything happening? Did this, do, should I just stop? Like, does this even matter? Is this a waste of time? Um, it's not. Um, and then the other lie was that I had to be everything and, um, for my dad, that I had to represent Jesus perfectly or else it was like life or death. Like his salvation hung solely on my shoulders that the way I worship, the way I spoke, everything would either like turn him towards or away from Jesus. And it was like all upon me. Yeah, which so is a lie because the work mm-hmm. that God started in your father, he is faithful to finish it, yeah. bring it to full completion. I am so blessed by this. And so for some of you, you're like, oh, what's the big deal? Uh, but others of you, you so get this because you actually have parents and siblings that you're praying and believing for. And Brady is still praying for other family members and hasn't seen it exactly yet the way that he wants. But he's continuing to pray and yeah. say, you know what, God, if you ignore my father. And so the big encouragement Amen. here, is if God can do it in in Brady's family. If God can do it in Brady, and he can certainly find you. Amen. Hey, y'all give it up for Brady one more time. And take a look at our final story for this evening. Basically, in my eighth grade year, uh, I had one really good friend, and she ended up moving to Arizona that summer, going into my freshman year of high school at Rampart. And I felt extremely alone and self-conscious because I just learned that I had ADD. And so I believed in my mind that there was something wrong with me and that no one would want to be my friend because I had to take pills so my mind could work like theirs did. So my first day of freshman year, I saw this group of girls who were talking to upperclassmen, and I thought, oh, they've got it figured out. You know, they know just what to do to fit in. And I wanted so desperately to fit in that I just went up to them and introduced myself and slowly got more involved in their group. And they went to parties, and so I just kind of started tagging along with them just to see if going there I could meet new people and just get my name known in the school. And then I realized that maybe that wasn't enough because all my friends started drinking. And so I just believed the lie of the enemy where it's, you you have to drink to be cool. And that slowly progressed to doing drugs. And then I realized, oh, well, I need boys to like me too. Like, that's how you're cool. If you have all the, all the cool guys that want to talk to you. As I started talking to them, they convinced me that I needed to be more physical with them in order for guys to like me. And so I was sexually impure, and I was impure with my actions in general. And I didn't know how to give that back to God, where I just kept all of my emotions and my regrets bottled up to the point where I hated myself and where it was just the only thoughts that I had were lies of the enemy where it was just that I was worthless and that I was a burden to the people around me and that I wasn't worth the air that I breathed and I just let that bottle up for months and months 
And then one night, I was in an argument with my dad over putting the dishes away. And since I had kept everything in for so long, it all just came out that night. And I went up to my room, and it was just being, I was being bombarded with thoughts of how I shouldn't even be here because I, I don't deserve to live. And so I went into my bathroom, and I shut the door. And I just kind of wrote out this quick note saying, I'm sorry to my parents. I'm sorry for being a burden to you. And just kind of like I realized that I was worthless. And I sat down on the ground and I had all my pills in my hand. And I just remember hearing so many lies loud and clear in my mind. And then it was just in one moment, it was just this still small whisper. And it was just wait. And that was the first time that I had ever heard God speak to me. And it was just so crystal clear. And then in, after he, I heard wait, I hesitated. And my mom came bursting into the bathroom, knocked the pills out of my hand. And it was just, that was the first time in years that I felt like I was of value to someone. And after that point, I went to therapy and I started, you know, opening up to my parents about my mistakes and realizing that I can't bottle in my regret and that I have to give it back to God because that's the reason he died on the cross was for my sins. You know, he was picturing these moments of where I fell into temptation when he was hanging on the cross. And he was just, you know, looking into the future saying, Brian, this is, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm on the cross. And it was just, you know, I, God wasn't surprised and he didn't turn me away. He welcomed me with open arms and it was just this love and comfort that surpassed my understanding. I didn't know that I could be forgiven of all the things that I did because in my mind, I couldn't forgive myself. And, you know, I still hung out with that crowd because they were my friends, but I just, I stopped drinking and I stopped doing the substances and, you know, I stopped being physical with the guys there. with that as well because you know they were they would sit there and you know why aren't you drinking you know you're so lame or you used to be so cool what happened and I was still vulnerable at that point so it was just it was hard because I still wanted to fit in and then in those moments when the devil was still trying to tempt me and bring me back I would just repeat in my mind bible verses where it was it was God's word you know what is true and it was just verses that said, you know, I, I am fearfully and wonderfully made and I am of value and I am precious to God and I'm desired by God. And so in those moments when I would have thoughts that were not life-giving, I could instantly think that's from the devil and that's not true. And I could go straight back to the word of God and have that as my shield and have that as my fallback. And one girl in that group noticed how as I started distancing myself, I was happy. I just had this joy and she came up to me and said what do you have that I want that how do I get that and I just kind of slowly started introducing her to you know it's God it's I don't know how to explain it you know it's just knowing that someone is always going to be there and that I don't have to work hard to impress him where it's 
he just he accepts me for who I am and he doesn't care if I mess up like he's he's always there to welcome me back home and then um, I gave her a bible that just kind of I had verses highlighted that had helped me out and you know she came up to me one day and was just like I figured it out I work at the church here in Kinderbase and I met um, Taya, Jenny, and Jamie and they all went to DSM and were very involved with it. I had always gone to this church but I was never, I always felt like I couldn't go because I had messed up so much and that I had such a bad past that I couldn't be around people who were so holy and just pure. But they were like, oh just come on, just try it one time and I went and in that first night that I was there I had different people, you know, people that I knew like Taya and Jamie and they would give me words from God, but it was people who I didn't know too. But they came up, and it was sometimes it was a verse about how I'm forgiven and how I'm made new and pure through Christ, or it was just you know desirable, forgiven, pure. It was just like those simple words, and it was such an intervention for me with God in that one night, and it was overwhelming. And it was just ever since then I've been coming to DSM more and I've connected with an amazing group of people there. And it's just so encouraging because, you know, I feel like I'm a valuable part of their life. And, you know, God placed them in my life for a specific reason. And, you know, it's just so encouraging to not only know that I have God, but to know that I have people here who value me as well and who see me as pure again. And, you know, don't condemn me or judge me because of my past. And so just being involved in this youth group has helped tremendously. And I just, this burden has been lifted from my shoulders and I'm, I'm free again. And I just, I can walk around and I don't have to worry. almost like this intervention you know I don't know your story I don't know I know some of your stories some of our staff some of our leaders home team cadre leaders we want to know your story so we're always here we're we're here to give listening ears to you both junior high and high school we don't know I don't know your story tonight but I know that you have one And I know that even like Brienne said, you know, it was almost like this intervention, like God just interrupted the pattern in my life. You see, at at one point or another, you've got to get frustrated with what the things that you're seeing, with the depression, with the with the with the self harm, with the uh, with the the lack of faith, the disbelief, the insecurities. You've got to get frustrated with the chains of bondage enough to say enough is enough. My destiny is freedom and allow the Lord to intervene divinely. One of the most powerful things there is that through her story, people begin to see this joy. And so tonight we just have a few minutes left. You guys, I just want to invite you, man, if you just need a God intervention, if you, just, if you just need God to interrupt the pattern, the cycle, whatever it is, no matter how great or how trivial it may seem to someone else, 
God sees you tonight like Brady's story. Maybe you feel like, man, I don't, I'm not from the right family or I haven't been going to church. God sees you tonight. Maybe it's a physical sickness in your body like Ruth. God sees you tonight and he is still a healer. Amen. Maybe you're in a place where it's like you've just been trying to figure it out. Like Alyssa, God sees you tonight. He sees you right now. Or maybe it's just like, like Deborah. I mean, you know all the right things, but deep down inside all of the insecurities that you're facing and trying to fit in, God sees you tonight. And so we just want to give you an opportunity to respond. We want to pray for you. I want to sing the words of this song over you as well, because I believe that God's going to give you a supernatural dose of joy tonight, DSM. Amen. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. They've got a vision and a mission for their life.